This is the Open School of Business, the podcast dedicated to success by delivering insightful conversations with business experts from different walks of life. Here's your host, Anaru Musakwa, entrepreneur and a project management professional. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please leave your comments and questions, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe. Let's begin. So, uh, welcome to my podcast today. Uh, today, I have an honor to introduce you to a powerhouse woman, a business executive with over 20 years of experience in natural resources and media across many countries. She's also a filmmaker, a producer, and a beautiful person inside out. Uh, so please join me in welcoming Gia Nurtas. Uh, hi, Gia. Quite the intro, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think you're such a fascinating person. And uh, one of the reasons, um, and one of the first times I heard about you was because you're a filmmaker and you uh, shot a movie, Tokal. Um, um, and the second um, reason where I was thinking like, oh, Gia is really doing something amazing is when you were starring in the... TV show uh, The World's Best on CBS mm -hmm. and again uh, you uh, served as an ambassador of Kazakhstan and its culture in the US and across the globe uh, so I was so proud of you and uh, I have such deep respect for your achievements and then when I, uh, I connected with you on LinkedIn I saw all of your corporate experience which was amazing and that's why I'm like really fascinated about all of the businesses, all of the things that you've been doing in your life. Um, so I want to uh, start off the questions with uh, what's your primary occupation right now? Uh, what's your primary uh, thing that you're focused on these days? Ooh, that's a broad question because I've never concentrated on one thing. That's one of the things that has always been constant with me. I am concentrating on one thing at a time, mm -hmm. but I always work on several different things. Okay. But, so know, if, if you were to um, maybe list the businesses that you own and manage today, I think that would be a good start for people to kind of get a grasp of uh, what's your life is like right now? Well, first and foremost, uh, it's Hollywood Film Academy, which is my brand. I founded this brand, and that's it, uh, based in um, here in California, in Los Angeles, and it's got a branch office in Kazakhstan. Um, the The academy functions as um, you know the academy, <laughs> <laughs> educational facility. So you um, teach people how to become actors and uh, filmmakers. Yes, um, and et cetera, writers, et cetera. Uh, we've actually, um, at some point, we uh, uh, worked with Kebetu uh, in Kazakhstan, and we were teaching full-on um, post-production. No. Uh, yeah, that's... Students. Yeah, so I have actual graduates in Kazakhstan. All right, that's yeah. very nice. That's really nice because um, yeah, I was going to just introduce Kibatu to our um, 
podcast uh, audience. Uh, it's uh, one of the first universities in Kazakhstan. It's called Kazakh British University, uh, Kazakh British Technical University. So they have a partnership uh, with British universities that are um, um, concentrated on mostly oil and gas uh, fields and technical engineering fields. And they do uh, have joint uh, programs together with London School of Economics. So it's a, a really cool establishment. And uh, back in the day when I was in Kazakhstan, I also taught there. And uh, we opened the uh, project management uh, master's degree. So um, I'm really happy that you brought in more artistic, creative way uh, to use technology and engineering in Kazakhstan. So that's well, really cool. Yeah, when we, when we coordinated, um, that was a little while ago, uh, if I'm not mistaken, maybe three or four years ago. And they, they had opened a multimedia department. So mm -hmm. we worked as, um, uh, you know, we worked for about two years together. And mm -hmm. we're not working anymore. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's. I think the reason is very simple, is because the kind of professionals that they want to come from here. Um, actually, I, I brought in professionals from the U.S. and also from Europe to them to teach. Mm -hmm. Those yeah. people they they cost a lot of money. Oh yeah. Because um, they're they're not just scholars. They're people that actually worked on movies like Harry Potter's and whatever the the big hit movies. <laughs> that, you know, you know, those are the people that have been doing um, monitoring, actually, one or the other way of, um, uh, you know, um, special effect departments, for example, and so on and so forth. We had this lady uh, who was an art director, which means she was handling the entire, um, you, you know, uh, CGI production for all Harry Potters. That's huge. You know oh, what I'm yeah. saying? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so for example, she was one of the teachers. And so um, at some point, Kabetou had, um, I hope I'm not saying something extra, but they, they basically... Uh, didn't get enough uh, finances for that. And unfortunately, we had to stop that cooperation. But I would have loved to restore that because that was amazing. Yes. And yeah, I've actually, uh, I'm so proud of some of my students that um, also practiced during the shoot of the movie Tokal, my, my husband's wife. Mm -hmm. we, shot it in, um, we shot it in Kazakhstan and they, they came in on a set and they worked in different departments under the supervision of professionals and mm -hmm. um, they all got the certificates etc no oh, so that's, that's great so they got hands-on experience right on the training yeah and i i get it because when you're working uh with the uh, private public type of partnership there's always this risk that they won't be able to make this sustainable so right. i get it so now you're you're developing that side of the business completely independently in Kazakhstan, I'm assuming. Yes, yeah. And the other, th uh, because you asked me what do I do, so the other thing right. is I just started um, another corporation with my longtime friend and uh, business partner, Kevin Fu. Um, we, uh, well, I'm not a partner there, but 
at I am leading their uh, newly founded North America department for the Jade Resources Company, which is the mining company um, that is, uh, uh, you know, um, basically they produce jade stone. The field is in Kazakhstan, which is one of the largest fields in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful jade stone. I am absolutely in love with it. You know, we Kazakhs love that kind of stuff. Just <laughs> jade, all that stuff. But, um, but um, yeah, so this is something where I feel like not only I'm passionate about it, because um, I have been in natural resources one way or the other my entire, you know, professional life. And um, th there's a reason for that, because my father was in it. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, and I can talk about it if you're interested. But, um, yeah, so this is an exciting new thing where I can be more hands-on helping as far as the marketing and sales, which is something mm -hmm. I know. You know, I'm not an engineer. Right. But, <laughs> but, but it's... sales I can do for sure. That's for sure. I mean, uh, with all the experience that you have in the entertainment business, you can always apply that. And plus, you have the knowledge of the natural resources. I, I'd like to talk about that a little more, if you don't mind. Um, how I, I saw some of your articles that you posted on LinkedIn about uh, Jade Token. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask you about the concept and... Um, uh, how do you plan to uh, market it across the North American continent? Oh, okay. So those are two different things. So what I posted is um, our Jade Token um, sales project, which is based on Cymex blockchain platform. So this is one of the ways uh, of raising capital for the project. And that um, that basically enables people by buying a, a coin to private participate. Mm -hmm. It's it's not an ICO because ICOs are kind of like in the past now for blockchains. Right. But it's a token sale. It's a but token. it's basically a cryptocurrency. It is a cryptocurrency. Nothing yeah. in a way that you're getting any jade in return right away. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, think. For, but, mm -hmm. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, uh, because um, I think it's really important to you know bring a person uh, who people would uh, uh, trust in uh, in this market uh, to talk about the market that is very far away and uh, Kazakhstan, even though it's a somewhat well-known country now for oil and gas, but uh, for jade, even I was surprised that we have jade. Um, so I think they really made a good choice by uh, appointing you there. Uh, but uh, I'm wondering in general, how did you like land that gig? Because you just said it's your longtime friend. Uh, so if you can give us more information about how it started and where um, you worked with a partner before. Yeah, a long time ago, 1996, I have met Kevin Fu in Kazakhstan. Um, on one of the projects that I was working on, that was a gold mining project, and it was one of my first jobs ever. And that was actually a job, <laughs> not a business. Um, yeah. Yes, and um, uh, so ever since then, we kind of, you know, partnered on one project or the other. 
uh, in the bigger way or in a smaller way. For example, one of the companies I have is Mount Helix Films, which is um, mainly focused on development and post-production, development of film projects and post-production. Right. And um, Kevin Fu is my partner there. Okay. Yeah. So, so he's, he's yeah. basically, uh, I, I would say he's a partner across the board on my film projects. Oh, that's amazing. So mm -hmm. it's great that you can take the one partner and work across different fields and industries. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, he so, has a big passion for film. You know, he's uh, probably seen more films than I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I love films. That's why one of the ways that I found this fascinating is how you made that transition. And uh, you've been talking about your first job when you met Kevin Fu. And I think it's so pivotal for a lot of people because it can really uh, either uh, have such an impact on your career where you meet people and you you stay with them or you develop certain skill that you're just going to be using it everywhere you go. Uh, so if you don't mind, um, also a little caveat, um, our audience does know that you also have a bachelor's and a master's degree uh, from conservatory in Kazakhstan, which is pretty famous establishment. And uh, so you're a professional musician. Yeah. So well, I never worked as a musician a day in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, I do have full blown music education and music science, actually. Musicology is like the closest way to describe it. But they don't really, I don't know, because I never studied here music. So I don't know right. what degree, like, but, but in our language, it's described as music science. Um, I see. Yeah, theory, history, analysis of music in depth. And uh, I specialize in folk music. So, okay. Well, yeah. that's amazing. I, I, that explains, I think, your passion for our culture and how you want to... Yeah, well, my culture explains why I chose folk music. Oh, okay. <laughs> you see, people make different assumptions. Yeah. yeah, I love music myself. I write music, but I have never had any musical uh, proper training, like a formal one. So I feel like it's amazing how people just jump from one field to another. They get education in one and they work in another. So, but I think it would be really interesting for our audience to know how did you land a job with the natural resources industry and what were your responsibilities? What are the things you did? First of all, how did you even get it? Because your background was in music. Uh, so, uh, it was a long time ago, Anara. <laughs> it was so long ago. It was 1990. No, my first job was actually not that. My first job was uh, a salesperson for Xerox. That was uh, 1995. Mm -hmm. I, it was a very low-paid job. It was very, very difficult time. That was the year I actually graduated from conservatory as my master's degree. And um, my father passed away, um, like, right around that time, 40 days, actually, before the, oh. uh, the dissertation. Um, <laughs> and uh, so that was a, one of the most difficult years of my life. And um, I had no choice because, um, you know, I needed to provide all of a sudden. Um, mm -hmm. And so um, I found this little job and 
I also worked nights translating because right. that yeah. job wouldn't pay for anything. We would have starved. But, mm -hmm. you know, I always say, if you put one foot in, you can put the other at some point. So I was promoted six months afterward, and, and I didn't need to pay up, uh, sorry, I didn't need to uh, work nights anymore because mm -hmm. all of a sudden my salary went up and I could, you know, just work daytime. Mm -hmm. And it just happened. So when I was doing one of my sales, uh, an executive from the gold mining company came in to buy a big Xerox machine. Mm -hmm. And we started talking and he was very impressed, I guess, with my skills or something. So he said, we have an opening job off open, opening. Why don't you come over and interview? I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, um, I went in and I got a job and the job was obviously administrative job because I didn't have any, um, skills or knowledge or education in, um, you know, any, um, engineering <laughs> whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> but when I came in, I basically got a job, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was office management or some, something like that. And, um, but that one was, um, I remember that I was um, budgeting. I was budgeting a lot for the um, um, seven camps and I think two offices mm -hmm. in two major cities. But uh, seven camps are for some reason remember very much because I was actually flown in there in helicopter and I will never forget that was an old kind of military Soviet helicopter. It was a bunch of like, <laughs> Everyone was backpacking. It was like so fun. <laughs> it's been so exciting, right? <laughs> it was very exciting. Yeah. Um, so that was those days. That's how I got the job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. And what really struck me now that right around the same time in 1995, um, my dad passed away. Um, and uh, same like you, my sister had to provide. So from studying English to be a, a teacher of English or a diplomat or a translator, all of a sudden she went and found a job at an accounting firm and an auditing firm, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And that's how she uh, launched her career in finance. Uh, so I, I'm really proud of people uh, who are just, you know, going for the challenge and the opportunity and just picking up any skills that they can to, you know, get ahead. So that's that's really, um, I, I can relate to that and I really admire. Um, Those days were tough days. Those yeah. Were really, really tough days. I often refer to them as wild, wild west of Kazakhstan. <laughs> Right. Wild, wild west times. Um, there were laws, but often people wouldn't follow. And uh, it was like the uh, sexual harassment was massive. It was very mm -hmm. difficult for a good looking girl. To right. Anything. It was really, really difficult. But uh, you can either concentrate on the difficult part. Or you can mm -hmm. concentrate on what you want and go for it, right? There's right. No yeah. That one wasn't mine. So I was like, you know what? Uh, if I'm starting to like pay attention to all this stuff, I will have no energy to do what I need to do. 
And so I was like, okay, pass that. Who cares? I'm going for that. <laughs> and that's, right. mm-hmm. it's pretty much all my life because, you know, life is a process, right? Mm-hmm. Achievements achievement is a process. Everything is a process. There's no point A or B. You know, point A, you're born, point B, you die. And everything in between is a process. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, the harassment uh, topic, and I read about um, uh, some of the um, uh, situations you've been through uh, when you made a decision to be a producer rather than trying to um, get a role in Hollywood. Uh, so, and you were saying about the Wild Wild West in Kazakhstan. So, if you were to say, like, was it also quite evident back in the day in the corporate field in Kazakhstan that the harassment was taking place? Um, or is it more evident that the Hollywood cases? You know, harassment those days, uh, you know, it's a power thing. You know what I'm saying? And back in the day uh, when people, uh, like masses of people were... Uh, it's not even like poor does not even describe it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, the economy was not even there to speak of. You know, Kazakhstan today is not what it was back in 1990s, mid 90s. That was some of the right. toughest times. I mean, we were happy we were independent. It, it's mm-hmm. an amazing achievement, and um, uh, but the 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 struggles that people had to face, the challenges that they had to overcome were massive. And whomever was in a position of power would often use that mm-hmm. for their so-called advantage. It's the same thing here in Hollywood. You know what I'm saying? Like a bunch of mm-hmm. actresses or actors, by the way, uh, men also are subject to sexual harassment, not only by women, by men too, you know? So we can't say women are the only ones. No, it's not true. You know, it's it's any right. any person who's trying to break into the industry. So yeah, I I can't compare the two. I can just say it was massive, mm-hmm. as it is here right now. Everyone is aware. Awareness is the first step. So I cannot say if that actually doesn't exist in Kazakhstan anymore because I haven't lived there for a while. All right. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I would speak from a corporate uh, point of view that a lot of, uh, I wouldn't speak for a lot of national companies because I haven't had a chance to work there either. Mm-hmm. And uh, frankly speaking, I kind of made it my goal to only work for a Western company that I know the brand of and they have a so good policy. Sorry? So did I back in the 90s. I made that decision too. I decided yeah, to I think... work for foreign companies. Because they actually subject to sexual harassment laws. Right. I think that was um, more of a safer, safer space yeah. to explore your talents and um, uh, grow as professionals. So one of my, you know, it's also um, a segue into another question, but also like a thought. Like uh, there is a thing where say like you have to just grow when you've been where you've been planted 
it's a proverb i think must be coming from a uh, either christianity or uh, islam i don't remember but i always say that too i'm not i'm not a plant <laughs> i'm a human being so if i'm not comfortable in this environment i'm going to try and change my environment where i can grow and uh, nourish better so that's another segue probably to the next question is like how did you come up with that decision to quit your uh, career in Kazakhstan that you had in corporate world and, uh, you know, leave your family behind, uh, get your two kids, as I know, uh, and just move to LA and pursue a dream? Like, it's just like, how long did that decision-making process take and when you actually made the decision? I'm going to try not to speak of my personal life because it's involved, uh, but yeah. I'll give you some information. But before we go for that question, let me finish off the previous one, because uh, mm -hmm. you asked me also my, my decision of becoming a, a producer was also attached to sexual harassment. Because when I came here and I was successfully getting from one project to the other to the other as an actress, because a lot of the times people come here to become actors, right? Right. And, and um, I remember I came in, I was studying acting. I was going from one class to the other and I uh, was doing really well. And um, at some point I started auditioning and lending independent projects. And then they, they came uh, a point where um, I decided, okay, now I've had enough experience in independent films. And it was all within the first year, actually, I have to say. You know, because mm -hmm. like I, I usually don't just sit. I'm very, very active person. Right. And and um, so I was like, well, I need to get myself an agent and start auditioning for Screen Actors Guild movies. You know what I mean? Which is like a level higher. Right. That's right. So you want to play that, your own league. Yes. Well, yeah. so, uh, I did get some agent I don't remember even the name of the agents because it was like ages ago it was 2003 <laughs> <laughs> um, and they sent me for three different projects they were all Screen Actors Guild and um, not at the same time but like um, you know within a certain period of time and all three of them I had been sexually harassed and uh, so when I told that to the agent, it wasn't received well. Mm -hmm. So I quit the agency and I decided that I'll become a producer because there wasn't a way, I, I wasn't going to lend jobs through my bed. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you don't like the game, you don't want to play the game, make your own game. So yeah, I think that was yeah. your decision. Yeah. And then I'll get back to your right. Next and so but I also want to just comment about your decision. I think it was great for the world because if you went on being an actress, we wouldn't have seen these movies that are so important to the audience, especially back home. So thank you so much for <laughs> moving that. on to the next I career. <laughs> I appreciate that because, um, yeah, I hope, I hope that that movie made a difference. I think socially, it's just amazing. And we can talk about it a bit later in uh, during our um, conversation. Um, but it's just, I think it made uh, such a change of people just starting to talk about such phenomena. Mm -hmm. so. 
So yeah. yeah, so the decision to come here was because in back in 1995, as I mentioned before, when my father passed away and I had to start providing for the family, um, I gave myself a word, I'll, I'll get back to art, to creative arts. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really wanted to become a musician. It was something that I, you know, I did because I was in music since I was five years old. But uh, my heart was always actually, I remember at 14, I was telling my dad, I'm either going to Polytechnical University to become an oil and gas engineer, or I'm going to theatrical school to become an actress. So I already knew back then that those two were my passions. Um, so I kind of gave myself that word and I, I got back to that when I, I could, when I felt like I'm on both my feet and I could do it. Um, I felt confident enough. So I made that huge move and it was a scary move. It was a very scary move. I had two kids and, uh, I was a single mom moving into this big city by myself with two little kids. I was scared. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great example because uh, a lot of uh, women, they like this Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In, the book is talking about don't think about your kids even before you had them. But once you have them, you definitely have all these thoughts about what are they going to be? How is the new environment going to be impacting them? So uh, I really do uh, associate this um, I can relate to that, like in terms of how you were thinking about it. So the other thing, though, like it was mother to mother, right? Mm-hmm. I was scared because I'm taking my two beautiful kids away from all these relatives, from like security network. You know what I mean? I'm taking mm-hmm. them into an environment where literally we have no friends, no family. I literally knew no one in the city. Mm-hmm. in this country right you know what I mean yeah and it, it was except for my acting coach <laughs> <laughs> well that's good you, you knew somebody then <laughs> at least yeah, yeah, and well, you found the, your acting coach did you know him personally or um or her yeah, uh, I, I, I found her through and then later all the other coaches uh um one of them still coaches me in kickboxing (laughs) yeah yeah so so i found the back in the day we used to read papers remember yes so i found her through a paper it's funny and i found um another coach um he was teaching me swords and knives and daggers and all that stuff Mm -hmm. um also through a paper some advertisement Obviously, nobody reads the, those anymore. It's all online. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's and cheap. it was in Kazakhstan, so you found them yeah. uh, in Kazakhstan. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, I'm really, I'm really like, uh, I'm going to like dig you into the about the decision making process because I'm always fascinated by how successful people make decisions. Is it a l- elaborate process where you're like thinking yeah. about it? For months or is it more like I made the decision I cut it everything else I don't listen to anybody who tell me otherwise and I move like how long did it take you to because I know that especially back home 
uh, people do value the feedback they get from their family members and it, it must be tough. So. Well, here's what was going on is, um, so basically a couple or maybe three years prior to that, because my daughter was born in 99, I was mostly concentrating on my family, right? Mm -hmm. And um, um, so what happened was, even though I was quote unquote happy, sort of, mm -hmm. um, I was, re I remember growing more and more sort of depressed, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and that's not something that is natural to me. I'm not a naturally, <laughs> like I'm naturally a happy person, right? Yeah. And so I remember, and it was like a void in, within myself where like, I, I, I was like, I, I need to do something because I'm not a housewife. This isn't something for me and there's nothing wrong with being a housewife, but you have to be that person who is very, very happy and tranquil being at home with the kids, with the husband doing their thing. That is not enough for me. Mm -hmm. and, and so, uh, but that family actually started also falling apart. That marriage, this, this, that's not the point though. I remember that it was attached to my professional identity. I, my, 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 my profession, what I do is a uh, huge pull for my identity. You know what I'm saying? Like some people, it, it, mm. you know, they can separate. There's a job, job, uh, job's finished, five o'clock, six <laughs> o'clock, they go home. It's a completely different life. I, that, it's, it's so intertwined within yes. me. It, it is me, part of it. Like just the same way as my kids me, are me. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So, um, so what I did to your question about the process, I remember I actually did this silly thing, I guess. I don't know if it's silly or not. X and Y, you know, uh, in, like in math, X and Y. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, and I plotted um, years. Your graph. Mm -hmm. uh, two, two of them. One amount of money mm -hmm. and throughout the years, different jobs throughout the years. And the other one amount of satisfaction and a job. Same thing. Good. And mm -hmm. all of a sudden... I realized that the little small student job that I had when I was 17 years old, I actually played um, as an extra in opera theater because mm -hmm. I was a musician. Yes. The summer job I had brought me the most joy I've ever, ever had with all the jobs that then I was always well paid. You know what I'm saying? Because like I work extra hard and, you know, hopefully smart. <laughs> so... <laughs> And then uh, I realized that that job that brought me very little, little money was, it was also, I wasn't like a lead or anything. I was just <laughs> in the background <laughs> dancing and doing something silly. Yeah. You know, that brought me so much more joy. And then I, and, and I was like, well, uh, what about those dreams that I was telling my dad when I was 14? You know, and then there was a time again, when I was a teenager, that I would go to Kazakh Film, which is our studios in Kazakhstan, and I would audition, and and uh, I landed a role in some, gosh, I, I forget, I played in something. Um, 
Oh, I don't remember. Some television series. It was one of the first ones ever. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's an um, amazing thing about Kazakhstan. There's so many things about the first ones. It's, yeah. it's yeah. nice. I don't think Love they it. have the footage anymore. I'm, I'm pretty sure they lost it. Unfortunately, I would love to look at it, you know. But I played this mean person, completely very different character than I am, like this, you know, angry woman. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fun. And so I realized by graphing all of that, that, oh my God, this is what I really, 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 really want to do. And I thought about it for about a year, I guess, how to do it and you know, what are the steps, and I've, I've flown here about months before actual move, mm-hmm. a couple months before, kind of like drove throughout the city, found place to live, put a, mm-hmm. you know, deposit, stuff like that, and um, then went back, got the kids, and came in. Okay, great. I'm, so you see, it's very methodological, like, that's what, what what I see in people because uh, in most of the media you read like okay they they made a decision they moved and everything but here we have almost a scientific method for making a decision you plot out a graph <laughs> yeah satisfaction and then you you know think about it for over a year so and I think that's very realistic and I can definitely relate to that because uh, I'm also a mother. And uh, I remember the first year when I had my baby, I made myself the busiest. I had all these other interesting business ideas that I was pursuing at night, usually when she's sleeping. And then I think it was just this, uh, I wouldn't say it's the FOMO, the fear of missing out, but there's definitely some kind of a range, like the link between uh, where you're, thinking your life is taking uh, over you and even your own direction and it's taking a different direction. So when it's doing that, you really kind of want to put it back where you feel confident, where you feel more aligned with your identity. Sure. And it's well, really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you made the decision. Uh, you went in there for, um, you flew out um a month before to prepare everything uh, and then you moved mm-hmm. uh, so tell me about your like first maybe six months of where you got adjusted what were the things that were oh, like how was yeah, your daily life remember <laughs> but mostly like um, the feeling were you extremely joyous or were you still having some logistical scared. like issues <laughs> extremely scared my brothers were calling me and telling me that i need to come back because i'm crazy my mom was like well i don't know my mom was still alive then and she was like um not pushy she she was not that that kind of was she was incredible but she was concerned Mm -hmm. you know um and um I remember even my little son was like, Mommy, are you going to be okay? (laughs) (laughs) That's so Um, Yeah, it was was scary because (laughs) realizing the kind of, um, you know, risk that I was taking 
was what I, I was very driven by different things. I mean, um, obviously, I really wanted to create an app again. I didn't know exactly how I'm going to do it yet at the time, but I really wanted this opportunity to express myself creatively in in the in the, in the form that is the most attractive to me, which is film, right? Mm-hmm. And um, at the same time, um, I was also driven by fear. And the fear that I'm referring to is a fear of one day realizing that that could have, but I didn't. Hmm. That's the worst, right? Yeah, it's like, hmm, you know that uh, psychological death bed exercise? (laughs) Exercise, yeah. Well, imagining myself and thinking to myself, well, maybe if I did, maybe I would have succeeded, but I would never know. And that was scary to me. You know, mm-hmm. what I didn't realize at the time, although I had a, a little idea, but I didn't really fully appreciate um, this little expression that is very popular in Hollywood. Uh, Overnight success takes 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. (laughs) Just the the understanding of basics of it takes so long. People don't really realize. They think there's an actual system to it. The thing is, is like everything is about network. Network is the most important network of people that you surround yourself with. But that is what takes the most time. Right. It takes time to build trust. There's so many so-called wannabes here. It's also another Hollywood terminology. Mm -hmm. Wannabes, oh, I want to be an actor or I want to be a producer. You you go to any bar in Hollywood and you'll be handed a bunch of like, I'm a producer, business cards. Everyone is there, and their mother will claim that they're producers. There's like, you know, and there's a database. You can even check them out and see, oh, yeah, they did produce something. But there are some specific things, and I have made those mistakes. Trust me, that's how you know. You, you, you can't know different. You can, there's only one way to understand is learn from your mistakes. <laughs> Yes, as much as we want to believe that we can learn from other people's mistakes, it doesn't work that way. Right, because their circumstances and their characters are different. So, yeah. like, it's most likely going to be quite, right. uh, quite a useless scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, creating a real network of real professionals takes a long, long time. Mm-hmm. But only when you do that is when you get on the next level. Mm-hmm. And uh, unless you're Mozart, of course. <laughs> well, uh, so what's your advice in terms of uh, what's your take, I guess, on how do you, your personal recipe, how do you build network? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then how do you keep people? Like, what's sort of the thing that for you, your values uh, when you're interacting with people or building relationships with them? Well, who am I to give advice? I don't, I don't know if I uh, can give advice. I can just say that from my personal experience, this is what it takes. 
you take years of going everywhere, meeting everyone, and trying to identify to your best ability who is actually real, who is not. But um, be prepared that you uh, might be betrayed, you might be put in a situation that is unpleasant, you might lose uh, money if you're a producer, that happens a lot. Um, if you brought in uh, uh, a wrong person into a company, that, that happens. Um, so on and so forth. Uh, and uh, real professionals, to get on that level, they're very cautious because they have went through the same thing. They're very, very cautious. They're very, very guarded, usually very modest. They will never like drive Lamborghini and wear like insanely expensive clothing to impress you. They will be very, very simple looking, you know, <laughs> and uh, unless they're actors, of course, actors, <laughs> you know, if you have that in you, I, this, this is something that I probably have never shaken off myself. I, I do like to dress up and go on some red carpet. I, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a woman wouldn't, right? Yeah, I guess and it's a female nature too. It, there's but, something about it, yeah. Yeah, but you wouldn't catch me buying super expensive branded things because I know that it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's really like it's it's not what defines me. And if I go in the room with my friends, they know who I am. I don't need to impress them, you know. And so yeah, so um, if if some wants to um, I, don't, I don't know if someone wants to go into uh, you know a foreign country and foreign city and create a business there do know that you will be knocking on every door you will be picking up every stone until you find the one real one and then another real one and then another real one and that takes time yes um I mean, in your case, I see from your bio that uh, in five years, you've already founded a film production company. I think it's an amazing achievement. And uh, uh, I'd like to get some of your, um, you know, real life story about how it happened. Uh, what was the first project you did? How you raised funds for it? So that would be the Mount Helix films. Yeah, Mount Helix Films was founded uh, uh, by me and my, my dear friend, Kevin Fu. And um, together we have raised the capital privately um, to, you know, for this company to operate. But um, we, don't, we don't do that private placement anymore because we don't need to. You know what I mean? Like it just the volume of work it comes and you work and company operates. It was just the development stage of it that we needed finance, mm -hmm. and um, that's the general thing with, um, I guess, film companies, um, mm -hmm. because uh, the the toughest part is usually the beginning because somebody has to finance uh, the development of the company, right? And then mm -hmm. hopefully. You'll be financing project by project, but it's not something like where you need a volume of financing. For the right. Project, you know. So and that one still is in operation, right? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, in terms of the money uh, stream and the cash flow, what's your biggest money maker today uh, in terms of your projects or companies? I mean, you've done film festivals as well. Yeah, like uh, I don't know, overall uh, film. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, for example, we now began, uh, like I said, um, you know, I'm always trying to kind of like push the boundaries and create more opportunities for uh, for my company because that creates opportunities for, for our people over there, right? So, for instance, uh, we just began, and this is what I'm developing right now. I don't know where it's going to go yet. So don't hold, don't hold me uh, to what I'm going to say right now. Don't hold me um, accountable. But um, I'm working on creating the sales division, the film sales division, where like I can uh, sell, distribute films that are from Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. Well, not only Kazakhstan, Central Asia, mm-hmm. and sell it worldwide. So we have now achieved... Um, uh, uh, well, we, we, we can actually um, guarantee, provided the technical specifications are in place, we can guarantee placement onto Amazon Prime, iTunes, and Google Play, 71 ter- uh, worldwide territories, right? So we can guarantee that. However, uh, you can't, we, and we work also with Netflix and Hulu, uh, but there's no guarantee there. They actually have to you know, approve the movie, you know? Mm-hmm. But the reason why I've mentioned the comedy and everything, obviously, um, you know, some genres do travel, some genres don't. Usually social matter films, they would travel well because, mm-hmm. you know, that is something that people people are interested to, uh, in, in looking at how other people live in mm-hmm. other countries. It's always something interesting. This is why Tokal was received so well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the 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 actions, action dramas, um, uh, I don't know, thrillers, horror films. Those are well traveling genres. Comedies don't travel well. And mm-hmm. our my my colleagues, talented producers in Kazakhstan, are producing comedies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think there is a trend back home in general that we deal with every issue through laughter so that we're not accused of being serious about it. I've seen a lot of political memes. People are protesting through humor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've seen some of those comedies as well that are really like showing such a painful scenario of our social um, development in Kazakhstan through the comedy again. So, I mean, it would be really awesome that, you know, if Amazon Prime and Netflix would pick up some of those movies and uh, uh, at least all the uh, people, um, you know, who love knowing different cultures from other countries, they could, you know, see what it's like to live and uh to live and do certain things in different countries like our like our country but it's it's really amazing how you have this sort of overarching mission about expanding uh, the boundaries for our film for culture and the people from there Um, and I love it because 
I think uh, you and I we would definitely understand each other because it's uh, even somewhat of a challenge, an identity uh, conflict when we're here. Because I consider myself a feminist and um, I'm assuming you would, uh, that's probably another question, like, are you a feminist? Well, uh, what is feminist, do you tell me? A feminist is someone who is looking um, after the well-being of both genders in in yes. harmonious way. So yeah. where no one is more powerful, no one is more... Uh, it's yeah, it's equality, but also not necessarily you have to be uh, showing the same qualities as the man. Because obviously if, you, if they're lifting weights they're gonna lift more weights just because it's physically bigger (laughs) exactly so i mean again uh, it's very different i mean in my experience it's not easy to um be amazed by our traditions and also retain this contemporary style of life that i'm leading and I feel like they're in conflict sometimes and you choose one over the other sometimes. And I wonder how you lived through that for many years. Um, because no. there's certain traditions <laughs> in Kazakhstan that are, I, I, just, I just don't accept. Uh, but then again, there are certain things that I admire. So how do you combine that in your uh, identity, in your work? Um, do I combine it? Let me see. Well, there are things like there are values, right? Like you value family over your own interest. You value uh, country over the interest of your family, you know, things like that, right? There are values um, 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 or tra- traditions, the traditions uh, as far as like... Um, welcoming guests in the house you know we're very welcoming people i always overcook i always have like too much food (laughs) (laughs) it's also kind of like something that is super super cosmic that's really Um, cool (laughs) yeah my my love love language is cosmic i don't you know uh when i talk to my kids and i'm like you know having one of those so-called love attacks (laughs) i will express myself in cosmic Right, because it's my native tongue. But um, um, there, but if we go back to um, other things, I'd be. I don't do what a lot of people there do right now. And I tell you what, I've moved to U.S. a long time ago. Kazakhstan's changed. And not necessarily in a good way in, in some ways. Like, for example, tokalism, right? Mm-hmm. Having more than one wife, which is completely illegal, by the way. So legal system does not support that. Right. But it's basically uh, maintaining mistresses. Maintaining mistresses where the wife knows and has to accept that for some mysterious reason. And mysterious reason is often what? The the the, uh, the fact that the husbands uh, oh you know it's a corrupt society let's face it correct can we right. talk about yeah. is that okay? yeah of course I mean yeah All this right. is American podcast so, in the states and so, 
all right Definitely. oftentimes men would 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 like be very fully prepared to live that kind of life so they would already hide money anywhere like the title is going to be gone from the like the wife's name is not on titles so if she wants to divorce him what does she have nothing right hmm. okay, that's so, an scam in my <laughs> that's an outright scam so it's completely illegal it should be absolutely outlawed uh and and if she wants to fight him in court what do you think is going to happen <laughs> oh well, yeah it depends on the court <laughs> corrupt society hence corrupt you know so yeah. uh so judges can be bought i don't know mm-hmm. i mean i have not i i don't know i haven't done it but i've seen people yeah. people like, like you know how many people write to me about that how many people write to me and ask me oh what do i do in this situation how can i give them advice who am i to give them advice i'm not in their situation i don't know this the, the small intimate details about it and but it, that's uh, it's happening left and right in every family almost you know is affected by this mm-hmm. so-called tradition it's really not and yeah. occasionally I will get a comment on either my, you know, YouTube, like I actually, the movie is now on YouTube. It's completely free for everyone. Cause I, I at some point after selling it and selling it and selling it, I decided, mm-hmm. you know what? People have to have an access to it, free access. Of course. So, yeah. You know, and, um, so every, every now and then there would be a comment like, Oh no, but this, this is our tradition. I'm like, well, then <laughs> let's bring in all the traditions. Let's live the wedding lifestyle. Why aren't you living in the York? Exactly. You know? Yeah. If you go, you go all the way. Why? Why is it so one-sided? It's ridiculous. And uh, the, or the other thing is, is like it's a very conservative society. All of a sudden, it was never like that before. I yeah. grew up wearing miniskirts. I like miniskirts. You know, and now when in the industry where it's it's you know it's 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 the industry where like we're media people i'm in television i'm in films i hit those red carpets and when i come to kazakhstan um and i wear my shorts i would wear them anyway but people don't like that Mm. i i actually love that about you uh from far away thinking that oh it's really awesome that you're being yourself uh, going back as well. And uh, uh, like you said, the corrupt society uh, makes everything corrupt and people still don't understand sometimes when they say, I'm not a political person. Yeah, you can probably be not political, but then at some point, the society, what's happening is going to spill over into where things matter to you, like your personal life or your work or things like that. So... I'm always about uh, making sure that you live around, you know, the places where you feel like your rights have been, are, are being uh, protected. Uh, protected, exactly. Yeah. So I think this is uh, something that would resonate with a lot of migrants uh, from uh, a lot of countries. <laughs> I wouldn't say Kazakhstan is one, one of the only oh, or a few ones. So. Look, uh, there's corruption of, like in different levels in every country. In every country, we're not we're not the only one. That's for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but uh, I think people should definitely take more of an active stance and 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 uh, be involved in their communities. 
are particularly about women rights because that is something that is constantly overlooked yes i'm a feminist very much so uh, i have a son and a daughter and i wouldn't want either one of them uh rights to be you know pushed either way they 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 absolutely they should be absolutely equal in um in um you know, in their rights and opportunities. Yeah, that's true. And, and I, that's a good point. For, for the equal work, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Which is something that actually needs to be improved in the U.S. too. For, for example, in my industry, women generally make less money for the same amount of work. I think the, the number was 20% or something like this. And uh, there, there are a lot more men producers directors than there are women oh yeah i mean here it's also a cultural thing where women are being taught to pay more attention to how they look and, and what they cook and like all these things more than what they want to do and how they're being realizing their potential so that that kind of positions them already into like uh, going into more of the entertainment industry rather than uh, creative, where you're actually creating some product and selling it and creating a value. Um, so I would agree that it's still a problem here. But even if women did all go study engineering and went on Silicon Valley and became programmers, uh, in my opinion, there's still this big problem about the paid maternity leave and there is a link between uh, postpartum depression and the length of leave uh, a mother takes mm -hmm. so uh, I, I think it's really instrumental to making women more successful in the future uh, and I think I mean in my own experience uh, I attribute a lot of my success to how my parents were uh, treating me as, as a girl because there, there was no first of all differentiation and second of all they gave me a complete freedom to to study more to do work and uh, so I, I'm wondering if it's very, if it's very similar in your case as well or yes, did you have absolutely. to do like a little bit more than your brothers because you lived no. in a house with your brothers no 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 I was, first of all, my brother was a lot older than me, so by the time I was born, they were already out of house. Um, but the, the, my parents were amazing people, highly educated, I already mentioned, um, mm -hmm. very loving. So I enjoyed an amazing childhood, you know, amazing. Um, and um, But I do see how uh, oftentimes in our society, when I say our society, both of us were in the U.S., but we're talking about Kazakhstan. Right, uh, the home country. Mm -hmm. So uh, the little girls uh, are always cleaning and, and the, the boys are just lying there doing something fun, yeah. you know. And I don't like that, and, and, you know, because what, hap what happens is like, you know, uh, when a child is little, by the age of six or eight, I forget what the number is, all this subconscious programming is written on. The, mm -hmm. the personality is built. And so when the child is little and that's what they see, then the girl is programmed to serve a man. Mm 
and man is programmed to look at the girl as a server. Servant person, you know what I mean? That that is just wrong. That is wrong. And that's what I see oftentimes, not all the time, mm -hmm. but oftentimes that's the case. And the other thing is, is that, you know, go back to going back to the traditions that you've mentioned before, um, like this new found tradition of like creating a whole bunch of like parallel families, right? Tokalism. <laughs> um, could you imagine what kind of psychological problems and disorders, stress disorders, would children have from those kind of families? Yeah, that that's just uh, heartbreaking to see what they're going to go on. Think about it. Those mm -hmm. are the children that are going to build our future. Those are the children today from second wife, third wife, first wife even. Doesn't matter because they will know that daddy has another family and that's okay. And there's more children there. What about my mommy and, and stuff? Those are the kids that are going to grow up and lead the country someday. Not too far in the future. Because that so-called tradition is already kind of old. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, what's your take on, like, you, you obviously did um, raise your children, you know, partly in Kazakhstan, but partly then in mostly. L.A., mostly yeah. there. So mostly in the U.S. Uh, uh, what are your, like, main direction when it comes to parenting oh. what's what do you think you you know you can share as a mother <laughs> first of all never patronize a child a child is already a separate human being doesn't matter how small that child is they already have their opinion and you have to encourage them building their opinion and if you talk to them in the way we're like um I don't know how to express that other than shushu mushu. I don't know how to say that. You know, like, oh, yeah, you're my little one. You know, you're patronizing them. You yeah. assume they're stupid. Right. Yeah. Um, you're never going to grow self-assured, confident person out of them. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you're using too much lovey-dovey language instead of actually recognizing... Uh, complete separate individual but you need to you need to recognize that that little person size wise little is already a, a separate human being with a set of opinions their thinking process etc etc and you gotta show them respect because that is going to be their programming in the future they're going to demand for that and look for that uh, subconsciously for that respect you know, those so-called spoiled children is our product. It's because we, we treated them like that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one thing I would say. The other thing is, is that, um, yeah, listen, just listen. Listen more than you talk to the kids. Never talk at them. Listen mm -hmm. to them. Explain why they cannot do what they're supposed to do, for example. Mm -hmm. In detail, like you would to a fellow adult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes often people just uh, forget that they also need a whole lot of explanation 
and yeah. like you need to justify the reason as uh, you know if you were to deny dessert to an adult you would come up, you would have to come up at least with three good reasons <laughs> why they should not be eating it today you and know. then the, the when they are like from their birth to age of eight for example i think that's the age seven eight is that the, the subconscious programming is being built throughout those like young uh, years don't you know don't forget about that don't forget put the best into your child because that is what's going to carve out his entire or her entire life. If the child is holding something, for them, just just an example, mm-hmm. and you don't want the child to hold it, like you want to take it away, never take it away because you're teaching them that things can be taken away from them. Things- and the most, the powerful or the strong one ends up getting the result he wants. Exactly. That would be the lesson they'll learn. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want something, just just treat them like it's another fellow adult. I do understand that you have to give a lot more explanation in simpler forms. It doesn't mean that that human being is stupid. Right. Usually, by the time they're two, they would uh, reason somewhat. <laughs> so you it's possible, to, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah, so that would be my biggest advice. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, like you said, it took time for you to build your network. And uh, how many years did it take you to build your um, Instagram following? Because it's pretty substantial, in my opinion. No, it's not. It's only 21,000 right now. It's funny. Um, it's 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 also hard to do it. Like, uh, does it take up? How much time does it take up? Because a lot of uh, like entrepreneurs who are just starting, they think that would be a good good way to start, you know, doing their well, social media. To be honest with you, I had uh, Instagram for a long time, but I never really paid attention to it. Every now and then I'd put something. But it actually picked up this year in January because of the world's best. Mm-hmm. That is when, not because of the world's best, but because of the world's best, I was actually obliged by CBS <laughs> to do more. To do more, and I was like, "What? I have to do this?" Because I actually, um, I have several different pages on Facebook, and I was already exhausted by that. <laughs> but then, when I started paying attention, I actually had to. Uh, one of my colleagues, um, Arthur Gurinian, whom I have a podcast with, um, he's um, he's a very, very uh, well um, recognized uh, choreographer. He was also a judge with me on The World's Best. He was the one who was teaching me how to do this. He's like, Gia, I don't understand. How do you not know how to do this? I'm like, I don't know, dude. How do you make a selfie? I don't know. <laughs> so he was teaching me all of that stuff. And so literally, you, you, you know, believe it or not, this 21,000 people, they joined me since January this year. That's amazing. That's really great. And uh, so I think, you know, you picking it, picking this up and learning is definitely, you know, benefiting. So that's one of the things you're probably doing throughout your career when you're uh, just learning on the job and, and really well, just kind of going with it. 
Yeah, it became kind of interesting because once I started to look into that more closely, all of a sudden I like it a lot better than Facebook. I'll tell you what, um, even though one of my pages has over 70,000 followers uh, on Facebook, the the posts on Facebook, because the, um, the what you call it, um, the rules have changed. Yeah, the, the algorithm pretty much not all of your 70,000 70, would not see a post. Now that's yeah, I don't know what's going on, but I would post something and the same post would get thousands of views, let's say on Instagram, it would get few on my Facebook page. Whereas I have 70,000 on Facebook page, mm -hmm. and it should be different. I think they messed it up, something is wrong with Facebook. I'm literally thinking about closing it down completely because it doesn't work. It doesn't work anymore. Um, and by the way, promotions on Facebook are a lot more expensive. Mm -hmm. And um, they, like when I was promoting my movie that just came out, it's a co-production with Mongolia. It's called um, Mongolian Connection or in Russian, Skravali Transit. So uh, it came out in theaters in Kazakhstan in uh, May this year. So I was trying to promote that on Facebook and Instagram. It was a drastic difference. It is a huge difference. So recently I was promoting that post uh, about film sales, right? The mm -hmm. opportunity to, you know, place your movie on major platforms. There's a huge difference. There's no reason to work with Facebook anymore. I say, yeah, I, I agree because they uh, changed the algorithm for business pages. So I think if you used only your personal uh, account, then they would still be more engagement. But I love your Instagram page and I think it's very engaging. So definitely keep it up. And uh, I think it will definitely grow. Uh, well, it's also fun. And, uh, it turns out it's a small production. You know what I mean? Like I used to think, true. oh, you know, it's just so boring. It's just pictures. Just but pictures. Of, now it's yeah, but different. Most of completely. Posts are actually videos. Mm -hmm. And then uh, do you do live as well? Live TV on it? I during the, the the world's best world's best Not yeah because i like it i don't really like it i at the, half of the time i don't know what i'm doing because like for example i'll be looking at the screen like i'm looking at you right now and then there's like all these people typing something i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it definitely takes an adjustment but i think it, it's a good tool yeah, and it's working out um okay so i am almost done and uh, uh, I have uh, maybe one more uh, question, and uh, it's more about your future outlook, what you would like for yourself uh, in the future. Uh, I know you have this plan with the Hollywood Academy. Um, is, is there some big mission or like this big dream that... You just want it to manifest. Um, always. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Always. So. Um, well, first and foremost, uh, the, the reason why I've become a filmmaker altogether is because history of our nation and its origin is remains still remains to be uh, a mystery to most people outside of our country. The fact that we're basically native, we're not Asian, we're native 
we are a lot closely related to Native Americans than we are to any Asian country remains to be a mystery. The fact that we're closely related to Siberian nations remains to be a mystery. You know, our history remains to be a mystery because they have renamed, rewritten, our, you know, many, many times over, right? Yes. So that was one of the, um, one of the major reasons why I decided that I'm going to be a filmmaker. Those movies are yet to be made for me. Those are the movies that uh, will, at the most, I want, when I make those movies, to make them the most accurate. You know what I mean? Like, to mm-hmm. show the actual history behind our people. Um, so there are, they will, like I said, everything takes time. Remember, we talked about network. Networking yes. takes time. But, you know, but creating this kind of major features takes time too, meaning you have to be prepared. You have to have that type of support. You have to have that level as a filmmaker. So that is like one of the major things that um, I will be doing in the future. Um, For right now, um, guys tune into my podcast, which is also on YouTube, Hollywood Film Academy. Um, That, by the way, was picked up by Philippines, the Philippine uh, television, Manila Up. They mm-hmm. have picked up that podcast, so it's been broadcast in Philippines of all places. <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> but I think it's, it's cool. Yeah, uh, I think they're very active in the entertainment industry recently. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, they love this stuff, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'd, I'd really like to work more closely with um, um, the Turkic nations. Uh, you know, I'm already working with TRT, it's Turkish television. Uh, I'd really love to establish working relationship with um, uh, filmmakers in Azerbaijan and Uzbekistan. I'm already, I've worked with Kyrgyz filmmakers. I've helped um, um, in establishing the Asian World Film Festival that is actually uh, produced and financed by Kyrgyz people here in Hollywood. Um, yeah, it would have been actually lovely if. Kazakh government also, you know, helped out to produce one of those things here. You know, I've produced those many times, but never with the help of the government. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you were to uh, describe your um, leadership style, obviously we worked with so many teams, in, you know, producing and uh, uh, executing your vision, uh, uh, doing hunting. <laughs> so many different uh, business jobs and filmmaking jobs. So as a leader, how would you describe yourself? What's your style? Well, it's hard to describe yourself. Uh, it's better if you would ask someone from my team. <laughs> but um, oh, the lack of the... I think, you know, <clears throat> it depends. I mean, if I'm on the set, I I guess I try to stay fair, like I really do. But I'm I'm highly disciplined myself, and I demand on that. Mm-hmm. I don't like when people bring problems. I don't like it. I say if there's a problem, you find solutions, and you come to me with solutions. Don't come to me with the problem. You find solutions. If it's more than one, great. 
come to me, let's brainstorm together, pick a solution and go for it. Because I'm, I'm, you're not working for me, so you can bring me your problems. I'm not going to be sitting here and, you know, um, helping you do your job. Right. There's a problem. Find solutions. That's fine. Uh, you know, come to me. We'll, we'll decide what to do. Um, I try to um, nurture people, you know, um, in the way where, like, they feel recognized and heard and, and important. Because each, each of us has to feel recognized, heard, and important, mm -hmm. right? And also, if if you bring solutions, that that would make yourself self respect. Because <laughs> if your boss is solving your problems and make doing your job, even if he's still nice to you, you'd still feel like you know you have you failed in some ways. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Okay, well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for this very insightful conversation. That was very open um, and also full of wisdom. Um, good luck with all of your projects and uh, we're looking forward to hear from you and uh, to see you uh, shine from all the different uh, fields that you're leading. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anana. And it was a pleasure. It was very interesting to talk to you. Thank you.